Hello and welcome along to Northumberland FA podcast series from the sidelines. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, our special guest is FA coach developer Suey Smith. Um, we're going to look at the topic of adapting as a coach. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Suey. No, brilliant. Thank you for having me. So we're going to look at it as a, uh, the topic of adapting as a coach, Suey. Um, I think before we start, if you can just uh, explain to everyone your current role within the FA uh, and in, in football itself. Yeah, um, so fortunate enough now to be working. I'm in my 13th year at work at the FA um, in various different roles, but my current role is an FA coach development officer. So I support the Northeast, in particular women and girls, into coaching. So we've got a huge four-year strategy to try and recruit, support and develop female coaches as the female game grows um, and with that we need more coaches and especially those female role models so that's my current job title um, but in the past within the FA I've worked at the which used to be the FA Tesco skills coaches so I was East riding um, and I was in that role as a skills coach for six years and then moving on to an FA county coach developer within the East Riding County FA so delivering Majority of the coach education, so level ones, level twos, you're for Bs. Um, and I'm fortunate enough at the minute to be on the UEFA A as a, a tutor and just learning that course and supporting there as well. So in terms of how I got into football, I guess, Gary, it's around hopefully how everyone else is, listen, is listening in, volunteering. So volunteering, um, running a girls, it was Hull City Girls um, at the time. So I was... 16, 17 years old, running a girls team. And then leaving school, I got into the football community as it was at the time. So that's how I did birthday parties, summer holiday camps. Oh, they were tedious and long, but great, great tan as well. Primary school work. Um, and then again, all the other Saturday morning clubs that we used to hold as well. So really got my hours out on the grass working with children predominantly five to 11 boys and girls um i said i'd be coaching nearly 35 to 40 hours a week in different various settings so that was really kind of my my, my first job at hull city into coaching and then as i developed coaching a women's team so at doncaster bells um and, and latterly now I'm coaching Hull United men's team, which is great because I'm, I'm still in the game, but just in men's football, which is another learning curve for me as well. So I think that's a that's a great story for any um, young female coaches out there starting off on their on their coaching journey uh, and, and probably listening to your story and where you've ended up and and is, is a role model now for for, for female coaches out there. Yeah, I guess, again, it was sometimes I would look at my friends who potentially had different jobs and was earning a little bit more money or a lot more money than than what I was. But in terms of the longer term vision that I had to where I wanted to be as a coach, despite the fact that it was a lot of volunteering to start with, there is jobs out there. And again, it's around you're going to have to put the hours in on the grass Um and not get swayed by somebody in a, for example, and it's a great job, but working, I don't know, in a call centre, what's getting quite a lot of money. 
the longer term vision of being a, a coach and employed is, is brilliant, but it's that patience, that experience um, and the belief that you can get wherever you want to be in the world of coaching. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that, Sui. Um, so, so let's get get started on that. On that word, adaptable as coaches. Um, how is that important to us as coaches to be adaptable? I think so. When when you talk around the word adaptable, it's what context. So, are you an adaptable person? Are you an adaptable coach? Can you adapt your sessions to meet the needs of your individuals? So the word adaptable, can you can wear a lot of different hats to really think about what it means to you. So again, just going from potentially how I've adapted as a coach, sometimes you've got to be adaptable in um, generation, in equipment, um, and especially in te technology as well. And I think it's important to be adaptable in yourself to meet the needs of others based on the world that they live in as well. Yeah, and, 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 the, and the, game, the, the game continues to evolve, doesn't it? So I think where we were as coaches 10 years ago, would you say, you know, the game's changed, the game's moved on? So do we need to change and move on with the to, to, to stay up to date with the game? Definitely. I mean, I don't know about you, Gary, but when I go back to when I first got into coaching, I'm not going to sit here and say I did everything that I'm still doing now because that would be a lie. I never once used a whiteboard. Very rarely did I ask players questions um, yeah. and line, line drills. I, I did. And, I mean, we're talking 20 well, 20 years now, um, where I first started that, but it was a cultural thing. Children and players that I was coaching was almost used to it because of how they was taught in schools. Um, can I coach the way that I coached 20 years ago? Sometimes yes, based on who's in front of me and what I need to get out there, but it's, it's now having those different learning outcomes and examples and teaching methods, coaching methods to really get the, the best out of your audience. Um, has the game changed massively? Because the game now, when we talk around individuals, I go, but I don't know about you. And again, it's um, Joe Cole, great example. I was one of those fans of the game that would say how greedy he was as a player. And then I look at Jack Grealish, and obviously I'm not comparing this, the same skill level, but actually the greediness of Jack Grealish sometimes, we are encouraging that, and I think that's brilliant. Whereas 20 years ago, Joe Cole, it was, is greedy, you need to learn to pass it. But I think that's how the game's evolved, where we are educating ourselves to understand that it's, it's good to be greedy and to be a selfish player. But actually, it's the how, the where, the when, and yeah. the, the game state. Yeah, yeah. Um, how do we as coaches so we adapt our own personal principles and coaching styles to continue to meet the needs of 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 our players of of, of others? Yeah, it's quite it, it's an interesting one because we're talking about our own values and beliefs and sometimes 
to change our own um, values and beliefs is quite difficult because it's ingrained into us and we are we strongly believe that our values and beliefs are, are one that we hold in high regard. I think when we adapt our own pr personal principles, you've got to have an understanding of you don't want to be seen as one of those coaches where you're constantly adapting your own principles because players will find you out. Well, for example, last week you said you've got to be on time, but this t this week you're saying it's okay to be late because it's just about getting to training. And it's around players will find you out and you almost become that wishy-washy coach. So for me, you've got to have your principles as your foundations, but understand there's got to be some leeway. But how you get that across to your players and parents is... It can be, it's quite delicate and it's a, a tricky situation because I would say for coaches, try not to lose your key principles and coaching styles because that's your personality, that's you. But having some leeway to, to maybe go a little bit to the right or to the left to support players' needs is huge and massive because no doubt the players you've got in front of you are, are, are players that play the game that we love for free. They don't want to make a career out of it and they turn up because they love the sessions that you create in the environment. So always hold your, your principles as your foundations, but maybe start to meet players of what, what their needs and understand them a little bit as well or to help you become that adaptable coach. Yeah. And... It's real importance, isn't it, to, to understand what the players' needs are on a training day and a match day because they've gone through, you know, socially, different aspects of the week at home, uh, parents, uh, different challenges at home. So I suppose that connects with us having to be adaptable around them requirements that, that that them individuals are, are challenging us on on training nights and match days yeah definitely and again it's i think the base of it is understanding so if we can understand our players and that's where we talk about the importance of understanding now it's not it's to say go out there and ask them for um a three-page bio of everything that that player is what they like dislike but give them time to, to share that themselves and again it's around understanding the needs but you can't accommodate for 15 players and I mean I can't do it I don't know about you Gary but it's impossible to to understand and care for everyone's needs at the same time in training session in match there'll be players that might not have their needs met at one training session. But if we look over it, maybe over three to four weeks, I'd like to think that as a coach, you can really work on the needs of all your players over a, a four to six week period and give them some time. So, and it, it's that unconscious bias to go, when they come in to training, can you say hello to different people and, and, and give them more time for week one and then week two give it to another three or four players and I think it's that bringing your unconscious bias to the forefront of your mind 
to really go, what player haven't I spoken to in a long time or made much of an effort? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Sui. Um, we talk about differentiation a lot in, in, in teaching and coaching. Um, I suppose being able to adapt to the ch to challenge our players uh, is a key skill, key skill as a coach. Um, being able to support our players that are the ones that are striving ahead um, and maybe it's not so. Um, how important is that within the within us as coaches to adapt? Massively. Um, I, I can't stress enough in terms of understand why your players are playing for your team and your philosophy as well. Now, I'm not going to lie, when I first got into coaching, I did have that one hat-fits-all approach and sometimes it it was about winning um, because I was young and I, and I really, it felt like I had done something good when my team had won. But what I really forgot about was when I look back now, none of them play professionally. S some are, are fantastic mums, some obviously different jobs and careers. And I I'm proud that the players that I coach have gone on to do amazing things out of the world of football. And if we can just look at that and go, well, what are they going to be? And actually, there's that much difference in the players that you've got. It's got to be that we need to educate ourselves to understand the step principle, to have plan A, B and C, to understand that if a player is striving ahead, how can we challenge him or her? If there's a player that's just got into football and they're still playing the, the, the same subs as everybody else, how do we bring that, that girl or boy on because they're still part of our club? There's no definite answer to go how to do it, but there is some really good tools out there to help us. So like I said, the step principle, session planning, and actually understanding the four corner model. So that FA four corner model, when we talk about physical, um, psychological, social and technical, each player can fit in that category of those four corners in different ways. And it's understanding what do they need most of, um, but definitely it's it's not an easy task, is it, Gary? I think we've been in the coaching game for many, many years. I'm still struggling sometimes to find out the best way to do it. But if I have a plan to help my players do it, I'm half the, halfway there in helping my team and individual players get better during the season. Yeah, I, I totally agree that the, that the importance of, of planning and that, that session plan uh, the practice design and, and what we've got planned and, and how we're going to adapt that uh, if we've got the strivers um, within within my group and how we're going to challenge these players. Um, and, and that takes us on around the, the, the session and the activities that were, that, that were delivering Sui. Um, I suppose adapting them activities as the session goes, as the session's happening, so that step principle and not being afraid to change the size of areas or step challenges up that might sort of um, go a little bit away from what you had planned. Yeah, and it's about being that brave coach because the majority of coaches that we've seen along the years, Gary, 
they've been on to CPDs, they've been on to um, courses, and we've educated them. But it doesn't just stop with the education of the coaches. It now needs to go to the parents that bring the, the, the children to the sessions because they might not understand, well, why is that player doing keepy-uppies and that player's doing a bounce with a keepy-uppie? Why, why is my child doing something different? I don't get it. Um, and look, we know football's an opinionated game and sometimes coaches, and I, I've been guilty of it, I'm not brave enough to, in the past, do something different with players because of how it might be perceived by that parent because they just want their child to do the same as everybody else in football. I don't know why. But if you've got, a say, if you've got an opportunity to speak to your, your parents around adapting and differentiation and use some really key examples of put it into their context when they go to school, are they all doing the same maths equations, subtractions or, um, or adding? Are they all doing the same spelling tests? And more than likely, the parents might say, well, no. Are they reading the same level book at school? Hopefully then that might start to, to help parents understand that, ah, okay, they're doing the same and they're trying to help my, my child get better at their own pace and learning environment. So I think we know coaches that we see day to day or on a weekly basis are educating themselves for the importance of differentiation and dealing with players that strive and are struggling. We need we owe it to the parents to, to pass on that same message. Yeah, sticking sticking with the the, the, the session designs and, and adapting within the within the sessions. Um, we get to our session, we plan for 14 and we've got 13. Um, and in the past, I've probably been guilty of this is, is having that spare player. Is it is the, the Jack Grealish, your your magic man, your magic girl? Um, but what's the importance of 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 underloads and overloads within within our sessions to to sort of develop them challenges um, with extra players or less players? And have you any good examples of that that you can share with us? Yeah, I'm laughing just because the amount of times where I've planned, I've gone, I need 12 and 13 comes up and you go, I don't know what to do. So when we talk about adapting, I've, I've seen coaches go, you stand out or you rotate, mm. um, but use them. Because the biggest example I can give is, look, when you watch football on a Saturday or Sunday and it's 11 v 11, and, and it's kind of that, there's four defenders against two two attackers. Why do why do we have to then do it the other way around? So they need to be exposed to more defenders, more attackers. And actually, if you know your players, encourage that because it happens on the pitch. Now I'm not saying it needs to be one against five, but it, there's nothing wrong with going one attacker versus two defenders because they'll solve problems. But again, knowing your players, you'll know who can cope. Um, I think, again, it's that understanding of don't be afraid to, to keep changing it. So if it is, if you've done a session and it's equal players, so it's two versus two, and you've got 13, that turns up, 
three against two. Just let them play it. Let them have a go and let them play it. But you might need to do some adaptations around make the pitch bigger. So when we talk about step principle, the, the team that's got three against two, instead of having it as a, a rectangular pitch, you might have it a bit of a, almost like a, a funnel. So that the three attackers, they're attacking the end with a smaller space at the opposite end because they've got more players and it helps the two defenders. And I say the two attackers, when they've got the ball and become attackers, they might have a wider area. So it's, it's around, let them deal with overloads and underloads, but it doesn't have to be the equal sides or equal space at both ends. You could funnel a pitch based on the needs and the players you've got in front of you as well. Love that example, Sui, the funnel. Um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've, we've touched on it a little bit, Sui. Um, you know, when, when we get that, uh, when we get that phone call or that text message to say that, that the number of players is, is different to what you've planned for. Um, in the past, is that something that you would you would go back to one of your favourite sessions that you've done? Or would you try and keep the session plan or the topic, the theme around what you would planned uh, originally? Yeah, I think as well, we, I've been disheartened when, when a parent's messaged me and gone, so-and-so can't come. And I've got like two or three texts that, that evening an hour before I meant to train, I'm like, oh, I don't, do you know what? The amount of times I go, do you know what? I'll rip it up and just give them a match because what's the point? But if we can take it away from try not to be personal because things happen, um, parents have got maybe many many children that they've got to take to swimming and football and other sports. So the amount of kind of planning, you can get disheartened. I predominantly now start with a match not to try and get myself out of coaching, but it does give me that breathing space of how many players, does anyone come late? And actually, when they come, they can drop into a game of football quite easily. You're going to play for the bibs or the non-bibs and you're attacking one way. Just give them that breathing space to go, right, look at my session plan again and go, actually, I've planned for 10, but seven's turned up. What do I do? And can we adapt it? I would certainly, if it's a topic that I've been working on for quite a few weeks or it's the needs of the players, I'd try and stick with that topic. But is this something that I can do that I'm comfortable in, in those first 10 minutes where I can just have a look and go, I can change this? Um, or could I do it in a game environment so that actually it doesn't matter how many players I've got, if I've got parallel activities... Well, instead of me making two two pitches, I'll just make the one and keep it keep it like that. So try so a few tips. Try and stick with the same plan. Give yourself a, a an arrival activity of something that the players can manage to give you that breathing space of players missing or coming late. If it's a parallel activity, so instead of having two pitches, just have the one and concentrate on one. And if, if it's one of those days and you don't feel like doing the session plan that you've planned because four players are missing, 
there's nothing wrong with going. Do you know what? I'll just I'll just give him a game today, and I'll drop in some coaching points that would have come out in my in my session that I had planned because the players that I've turned up, they're there for a reason. They want to learn, and it, it wouldn't be fair if they kind of missed out on on having a great session or some great coaching points because three or four players have been a bit unable to make it. So try your best to stick to it. But again, don't take it personally. And if you can, don't be too hard on yourself. Thanks, Sui. Um, we talk about observation skills a lot. Uh, and us as coaches, how we observe games, how we observe sessions. Um, what are the outcomes uh, you know, of, of not that are not coming now? How can we change the practice with our observation skills? Yeah, I guess it's, and I've been part of practices, keep ball. So I don't know about you, but six against three or know, eight against four and the attacking team keep losing the ball. Um, and I, I've been part of a practice where the coach has gone, how can the eight not keep it? Because there's more players that are keeping the ball against defenders. How can you not keep it away from four defenders? And the coach will get frustrated and then you start to observe it. And it could be that the four know which player is potentially the weaker player. So the minute they get the ball, they're homing in on that. So that little bit of changing a practice to help. So if you know there's a player that potentially needs work on the first touch, the defenders start to work stuff out, Gary. And I know if I was a defender, and no offence to you, Gary, I know that you might not have a, a good first touch. I've never seen you play. But I'd be straight on you. As that ball's travelling, I'd be straight on you. So how do I help Gary have more time on the ball? So it could be that actually I say... If you can receive it in this area, Gary, no defenders can come in, but try to think about your first touch and your pass following. So we could make changes. It could be that the player in questions or the players that are finding it hard in that keep ball session, they might need to just take, leave the area to take a touch to then pass it. So the minute they leave the area, Actually, it gives them some more time, some more space, and they can pick the right pass out. And I might have some coaches listening going, yeah, but you can't leave a football pitch when you're playing a game of football. No, you can't. But adapting in the training will hopefully have a better support on that player's confidence, the first touch. And as the session goes on, I might start to observe and go to the player and go, for the last five passes... You've left the area, you've taken a touch, you've played it back in the square, right, brilliant. Can you maybe start to think about, instead of leaving the area, can you maybe find the the pass and the the touch to stay in the area and do it in there? So that's that individual observation, some positive praise to go, right, okay, so Gary keeps leaving the, the area to take a first touch, compose himself and then pass it to a player and his team still got the ball. I'm going to go praise Gary for that. But now I'm going to try and get him to potentially stay in the area to do that. So I'll talk to Gary about finding spaces. Try and 
maybe link in. So I might say to somebody in Gary's team, look, when you see the balls travelling to Gary, can you be that first option? Can you go support him? Can you make a real effort to, to help Gary keep the ball within his team, but also in the square now? So I think observing certain players rather than everybody will help you understand and again make adjustments so if it's an 8v4 keep ball session and the ball keeps going out make the area bigger it's not a problem or half it go go four against two and, and see if there's a bit of a difference because there's less options to pass to as well so use the step principle don't be afraid to change it don't take it personally, but when we observe players, it's impossible to observe all eight. So that player cam, just take five minutes to go and watch a couple of players and there's nothing wrong with individually coaching that player and just giving them some extra tools and technical points to help them stay engaged in the session. Yeah, that's great. And, 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 and that just sort of emphasises what we're talking about today, about adapting as things happen and, and you know what you've explained there on on observing certain players to, to just adapt for them uh, to make them challenges easier for them if they need it or, or more challenging um yeah which which I suppose brings one nicely on you know we as we as coaches are forever saying you know don't be frightened to make mistakes as, as players throughout their their learning the, the development and I suppose, is it, is it right to say that as coaches, Sui, um, we shouldn't be frightened to make mistakes within my practice design, what we've set up, uh, if it's working or if it's not working? Oh, absolutely. Um, look, majority of us are volunteers in the game and we do it because we love the game. We want to help the players get better. We want to help to, the players to fall in love with the game that we have fallen in love with. And I think... Nobody has ever had a perfect session. It doesn't matter if you get paid thousands and thousands of pounds and you work in the Premier League. There's always learning to take place from any mistake. But I always say, if a player makes a mistake three times and we don't support that player, actually we're missing out on a trick and a really golden opportunity to help that player understand and get better. If we keep making the same mistakes as coaches, so if I keep going to my train on a Tuesday night and I'm making the same size area with the same amount of people in it and I'm, and I'm doing two-touch, for example, and my players are unable to do two-touch football in that area, but I'm sticking at it and I'm sticking at it, and each week it's, they're not getting anywhere, that's not a mistake anymore. That is our opportunity to, to reflect on ourselves as coaches, seek support, ask another coach, maybe ask the players and go, why is it we can't keep the ball in the area? Why is it that, I don't know, our first touch takes out of the square, for example, depending on the session you're creating. So we will make mistakes, but we can rectify and we can reflect on mistakes massively by peer-to-peer, coaching coaching to coach support, simple WhatsApp message to one of our friends or one of the parents who we value and go, what did the session look like? But don't be too hard on yourself. Everybody makes mistakes in whatever line of work or volunteering they do. Um, 
and they make a mistake every single day. Um, football's no different, but we've got to try to have that understanding of if we make a mistake and it's a continuous mistake, seek support, seek help, look at new session plans, look at educating yourself and bounce ideas off fellow coaches or that sounding board that you trust and value. Thanks, Sue. Anything to reflect on then, Sue? Um, I'll reflect on this podcast ago. Did I get my messages across? Um, can anyone, everyone understand that Yorkshire accent? But look, I'm still reflecting whether it's in my job, whether it's how I communicate with a coach. Is it the best way? Players, my men's team. It, it's an ever, it's a, it's, it's a non-stop evolving process. Um, and actually, I always learn off everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a level one coach, a BT playmaker coach, if you're an air licensed coach, I, I'm learning off everybody. And I think we better understand that as coaches that just because you watch somebody that potentially got a higher level of football qualification, don't rule out that somebody that's got that playmaker or, or that intercoaching football. You can't learn off them as well. You can learn off everybody. Sui, that's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for sharing your knowledge and experience with us today and look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you very much.